5: Felt intimidated in the workplace.
4: I wouldn't want to do that. Like I'm not out there to upset
6: anybody.
5: We have a finite amount of time. We really are meant to make a difference to other humans'
7: lives.
2: As far as counselor concerns, well, you own a property, so you can't get emergency accommodation. But well, I can't get into
3: it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696.
4: or 96 96. WhatsApp 0833969696. 96 96.
3: Email opinion at ninety six fm.ie.
4: This is the opinion line with. P.J. Coogan
5: Coach 96FM Peter O'Mahony, huh? There's a man, there's a man who I'm sure has gravel with hot milk for his breakfast of a morning and that's just on an ordinary day let alone a match day, eh? Good morning to you 0818 96 96 96 the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 the email Opinion at 96fm.ie Lots to do this morning, so I get straight at it But we were looking at those gambling figures That came out yesterday morning And I'll be talking to Philip later this morning Who is doing okay just now Okay, as he tries to stay away from the casinos And I'll be talking also to, to Owen Who's been free of gambling for a very long time now but believe it or not, he had an urge only the other day. It's an insidious, horrible addiction, and we'll talk about it later on this morning. Is there trouble at the Late Late Show? We think there is. They lost their executive producer this week after only a few months. Paddy Kilty seems to have been very annoyed altogether with the way he had to interview, or rather not interview, Carl Frampton. Last week, and it looks as if three or four weeks in to what could be a fabulous new show, the producers are arguing upstairs as a result of which Paddy Kilty isn't getting to be Paddy Kilty. That is all to come this morning. But first, an eventful week in the courts. Eight people have now been charged in connection with what they are calling the biggest drug seizure. In the history of the state Certainly the largest cocaine seizure In the history of the state This is a seizure from the MV Matthew Which could eventually Have a street value of nearly half A billion euro by the time Or could have had by the time it was cut down And distributed Across this story for the week has been Paul Bourne Of Virgin Media News Paul, um, eight people now Before the court, the latest was yesterday A Filipino man In his thirties, good morning Paul
8: Good morning, PJ. That's right. Eight people have appeared in courts in um, Waterford, Wexford, Mallow and Middleton in the last number of days. And it follows, of course, uh, the seizure of the cocaine valued at 157 million euro. Gardaí and the Customs and the Naval Service describe it as the biggest uh, seizure in the history of the state. Lots of people are saying that, you know, Dunlop Bay was valued at 400 million euro. And this is a little bit, the, the weight of the cocaine here, the 90 so-called bales of coke, would be heavier than the weight of the bales found in Dunlop Bay. That, of course, is the famous incident where the uh, rib capsized and it led to the seizure of those uh, uh, bales of cocaine. But, as you said there a moment ago, when the bales or the cocaine would have been uh, cut or bulked and made out onto the street, if it had made its way onto the street, it could have been worth up to half a billion euro. But, thankfully, every bit of that cocaine is now... um, in storage, and will eventually be incinerated once the court case concludes. Uh-huh.
5: I was going to ask you that, actually, what happens to these seizures, but they'll be burnt
8: they will they go up in smoke uh, they're taken to a secret location under armed guard uh, i believe that this is done uh it all depends on really on the seizures the number of seizures it could be done on a weekly basis it could be done on a monthly basis but the way that the um the, the level of success the guards are having across the, the country at the moment i've no doubt that uh the seizures are happening day after day, and I've no doubt that the the incineration is happening a lot uh, quicker than before.
5: Okay, let's go through the courts. Yesterday we had Harold Estuesta; he's 30 from the Philippines. We've had seven others: two Ukrainians, one Iranian, Dutch national, an Englishman, and a U- another Ukrainian. A very, very large crew being pulled in here.
8: Yeah, there's a there's an international dimension to this because I suppose look, if you want to start. With really, what happened? We're we're going to the movie scene. We'll say is from the Caribbean, and it ends up in Cork. And it all started on the 19th of August when this ship, the MV Matthew, uh, a bulk carrier, 623 feet in length, left South uh, America <clears throat> and sailed into Irish waters. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. On September 23rd. Now, also at around the same time, you had two men. Uh, making their way into the fishing village that is Castletown Bear and the harbour there, the port. And these two men purchased a trawler which had been on the market for a number of years. And it's understood that these two men paid around 400,000 euro in cash for the trawler that had been for sale. It was sold in good faith to a local man who had absolutely no ties to this uh, incident. He's an innocent party. And, but unfortunately, the money that was uh, handed over to him could now be confiscated because of it's seen as the proceeds of crime. Mm. So this will take uh, a lengthy time before the courts, and this man will at some stage obviously have to make an application to have the money returned to him. So while he
5: quite innocently sold the trawler to two men he would no idea their background... The money he got, which I think was about 400000 he may never see that.
8: He may never see that again, because that is now considered the proceeds of crime. And um, I suppose, look, he'll have a solicitor looking at it and obviously go to the courts in the hope of retrieving that money. But those two men, having made the transaction, uh, were setting sail. They told the locals down in Castletown Bear they were going for Devon and locals were kind of surprised with the route that they took uh, because they headed towards uh, the coast of Wexford. Lots of people were saying in, in and around Castletown Bear, in hindsight, they, they looked as if they hadn't an idea about fishing vessels or trawling or anything like that. These men said they were using it, going to use the, the trawler for fishing over in Devon. But they that was on September 23rd, I think it was, they came to the attention of the authorities on September 25th when the trawler became stranded and are embedded on a sandbank off the coast of Wexford. Mm. Now, those two men were airlifted and taken into custody because at the same time, the um, Naval Service and the, the entire joint task force were Uh, making plans to board the M.V. Matthew, which was off the coast of Cork. But as they approached the M.V. Matthew, this bulk carrier, she took off. And the naval service was forced to fire warning shots across the bow of the M.V. Matthew. And as they were doing so, at the same time, the elite unit from the army rangers um, were abseiling from a helicopter down on to the deck of this bulk carrier. This was happening. It was for real. It was something like you'd see in a movie, PJ, but we now had this for real. It was the real McCoy. It was happening here off the coast of Cork. This was an international drug smuggling operation that had now entered Irish waters. And thankfully, the state agencies here were able to take over the vessel, bring it under control, and take command of the ship, and then escorted it into the port of Cork, where there was uh, over two tons of cocaine valued at 157 million euro. International drugs cartels behind it. uh, One of the cartels described as a murderous gang. Mm -hmm. And this really, you know, took a lot of planning. The bulk carrier had to be purchased. The cocaine had to be purchased. Um, people had to be um, found to do the job to bring it from A to B and land it at C and D. And But the whole thing had uh, become pear-shaped when the Irish authorities became involved.
5: It's the stuff of Netflix series, Paul, and no doubt there will be one in the fullness of time. The The, the men who have been charged... Would there be fears now? A lot of people are talking about it. This is a major international operation. Their lives now could even be in danger. But at the moment, they're in the the safety of of custody.
8: Look, they're innocent until proven guilty, but um, they are in custody and uh, one solicitor for one of the accused did say that he was uh, seeking to have his client protected while in custody. That's up to the prison authorities. But I suppose, yes, some people say that these men are probably safer behind bars for the time (laughs) being because how it became known to the authorities, of course, is um, due due to intelligence. But the gangs behind it who have lost money are outraged and there's also the fact that you had this massive massive 623 foot long vessel she set sail from the caribbean to cork with two tons of coke and you can be sure that there was a lot more cocaine on that board on that boat before it was landed here in in irish waters because there is no way she set sail from the Caribbean to Cork just with that amount. So what happens in the, in, the, in the the transatlantic crossing would be that other boats, trawlers and smaller ships and smaller vessels would go out. The Envy Matthew was known as the mothership. And when they're offloading cargo, illicit cargo, it's called coopering because it's done in the dead of the night or in places where no one will see them. And the Irish coastline is seen as a very soft touch Mm -hmm. by many of the international drug cartels. Thankfully, this one uh, was detected. But it is accepted, PJ, that maybe seven out of every 10 um, transactions or transatlantic crossings go undetected. But its uh, intelligence, thankfully, will lead to the successful seizure of, um, of this operation. A joint multitask operation, a successful one. And as I said, You said Netflix, and I've been saying the same thing from day one. The opening scene is two men, two strangers wandering into Castletown Bear with a wad of cash, 400 grand in their pocket, and setting off in a trawler. And then this massive bulk carrier. And here we have Interpol, the the Naval Service. We have the National Guard, the National Drugs and Organized Crime Bureau, the Customs. Everyone involved in this big, big drug smuggling operation that uh, became unstuck due to the intelligence that the Irish state agencies yeah. had received.
5: And the, the incredible work that was done. And like you said, for every Matthew that they catch, there are seven or eight that they don't. But let's at least concentrate on the one that they did get this time around. Paul, thank yeah. you for, for going through it with me. Listen, to me, the bit of local tragedy where you and I uh, both live or are from anyway. Douglas uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. the passing, the sudden passing, I heard it last evening. I couldn't believe it—the very sudden passing of Dave Halpin of Ecos.
8: Uh, I first of all, I didn't know Mister Halpin. I knew him to see.
5: Yeah, and I same think as myself. We'd salute the, each other. Yeah,
8: yeah. He was probably one of the best known businessmen in 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 town. Uh, he opened Ecos restaurants in Douglas in 1996, and. It has become one of the most famous restaurants in Munster. During that time, a very successful business. Uh, Dave Halpin, I think, was probably in his late seventies, and throughout the years, was very, very well respected, admired, and liked by all of the the people who worked with him. Um, employed lots and lots of people down throughout the years, would have been a great employer, and you know, is tragically missed by his family today. His daughter Victoria. Um, posted on Facebook last night a beautiful photograph of her father with his grandchild taken just hours before he died in in fact he, he, he collapsed and died at the restaurant in Douglas um, sometime around lunchtime yesterday and I was actually in the area and I saw the emergency services there at the scene yesterday but his daughter Victoria posted that beautiful photograph of her mm-hmm. dad with his grandchild Lovely. and you could see that he was totally engrossed with the child, you know Whatever the worries of the world were at the time, they were at the back of his mind. That couple of moments with his grandchild was precious, and you could see it. And his daughter Victoria posted that, this is the last ever photograph taken of my doting dad. He was kind, adorable, and will be greatly missed. His passing, I suppose, fair to say, PJ, not only felt by his family and friends, but the wider community here in Cork. And I remember... Every morning I might be outside the courthouse on Anglesey Street, you'd see Mr Halpin passing up, um, you know, on his way to his other outlet in Winthrop Street and uh, a workaholic by all accounts, but uh, a great family man on the other hand. But as I said, uh, I didn't know him, but our, our condolences to Victoria and all of his family.
5: Yeah, and the Halpins on Cook Street was there for years as well. That was another one of his, part of his. That's right. His, his That's legacy. right.
8: The famous, famous Halpins. Yeah,
5: and uh, yeah. All right. Listen, Paul. Thank you so much, Paul Bourne uh, of Virgin Media News, and indeed, occasionally of this program. My congratulations in advance to Paul, because Paul will be, um, would be recognised at the Cork Business Awards this year. For a quarter of a century on the television, yeah. The Halpins, a very well known family, Eco's, a very famous restaurant. The Webb Workhouse was Dave's other business, the Halpin Rest Halpin's restaurant back in the day on Cook Street. Just a a man like Paul, I wouldn't have known him, Uh, no personal relationship with Dave Halpin at all. But you know, you'd wave. He'd know, him, he'd know me and I'd know him you'd wave, you'd say hello uh, a very nice man uh, anyone who knew him well would tell you that a very very nice man, may he rest in peace and indeed our thoughts with his family friends and many colleagues over the years
4: Join the conversation This is the Opinion line. With
3: Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years They're all ears, visit hiddenhearing.ie
4: Fox 96 and- Check this out. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
3: Weekdays from Midday on Corks 96 FM. Let's have some fun, fun. It's the show with the giveaways that get these reactions. Yeah! Oh, my God, Cathy is babysitting. Woohoo! You got the voucher. Well done. Hey! <laughs> Thank you so much.
6: Amazing. Oh, my God, insurance. Thank you so much. Woo-hoo!
9: <laughs> I'm delighted. It. It's also the show where I get
10: nosy sometimes.
5: I'm at work at the moment. What do you do? That's yes, a guest question no.
3: <laughs>
1: and it's the show
3: on your radio with these guys. Hey, this is Rihanna. Hi, Ed Sheeran here. Hey, I'm
4: Olivia Rodrigo. Make me your soundtrack every afternoon in court.
5: Simon Murdoch,
4: midday to 4 p.m. Is this is how we do it.
5: Corks 96 FM. Now, yesterday morning we were going through these figures. They had dropped early Thursday morning, and they make for a grim reading. Uh, we've often spoken about gambling and the extent of gambling and the difficulty of gambling addiction, but this new report, compiled by the Economic and Social Research Institute tells us that 1 in 10 adults, 1 in 10, are now either problem gamblers or say gambling has caused them multiple problems. The figure comes up with 10 times more problem gamblers in the country than we ever thought. Roughly 1 in 30 people have a problem with gambling. And by a problem we mean spending more than a thousand euro a month on gambling of all kinds that is huge numbers of people huge numbers of people definitely very very worrying Owen Coyne we've spoken before Owen uh, is an advocate for uh, gambling harm reduction and prevention himself a former problem gambler in recovery now for quite some time Uh, Owen, good to talk to you again. These figures don't really come as any surprise to you. Good morning.
11: Morning, PJ. No, not at all. I think when I saw previous figures, I always felt as though they were a a gross underestimate. Mm. And I think the figures that were published um, yesterday are are a a fairer reflection, at least on the state of problem gambling in our country.
5: This is people spending a thousand euro a month or more on gambling. That that is a problem.
11: It is. It's a serious problem. I mean, that's that's uh, one third of of the average monthly income for for a household. You know, PJ, and like I know from my own lived experience, the amount of money and the amount of time that I spent gambling, it took away so much from my life, and 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 it's doing it now to so many people in, in Cork and, and further afield. And like there's a disproportionate amount of people uh, living in disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds that are affected by, by, by gambling, by gambling addiction and by problem gambling.
5: You and I have spoken before about gambling, about how it's the most insidious addiction because there's no hangover, there's no visible signs. You can carry on yes. a perfectly mm-hmm. normal life while spending every cent that you have gambling. And that's the worst part.
11: It is. And I think the problem that that then leads to is that it all comes to light after it's too late you'll recognise the signs of somebody drinking alcohol seven days a week and, and slowly that, you know, there are there are alarm bells ringing for people. But for the likes of me and for the likes of other people that are stuck in the addiction, they may be so far down the line that, you know, they go to apply for a mortgage and you've secretly hidden huge gambling debt. You, you can't get credit. Um, you're consumed. You're you're consumed by so many thoughts around gambling and the harms that it it is doing to you. And the thing about gambling is, unlike any other addiction, you actually believe that you can get yourself out of the situation yeah. by gambling more.
5: You can drop a yeah. week's wages on a phone in in twenty seconds, and and that's yeah. the pro- the real problem, isn't it?
11: It is. And like two thirds of gambling is happening online and you could be sitting there with a loved one or at in company and chatting and laughing away and and joking away. And and behind it all, your week's wages or the mortgage could all go on the horse race that's up on the the television screen inside in the corner of the pub and nobody will know.
5: And you're speaking from very painful personal experience here, Owen.
11: Yeah, I've been there, PJ. I've been there. I've gambled the month's rent on a horse or on a soccer match and more often than not, that leads then to chasing gambling losses and it leads to trying to borrow money off friends, is trying to get an overdraft from the bank that you know in your heart and soul that you're you're just going to, you know, bury your head in the sand about all this this money that you owe and it just becomes such a vicious cycle that you end up spiraling into even before you know you're in it. And it's it's not until you're in the depths of it that you realize mm. I, I'm in trouble here, you know. And from that then, what I found was I used to get so cross at myself for not being able to stop. I looked at my peers who didn't have have a problem with gambling and I just thought, why can't I just be like them? Why can't I walk into the bookies and Cheltenham and walk back out and come back next year? But yeah. I couldn't. It ate away at me until it just started consuming every part of my life. It just eroded any chance that I had of reaching a potential in my life, in my you know mid to late teens into my early 20s. And unfortunately, that, that seems to be the, the huge demographic that do get sucked into gambling. Men, early 20s into early 30s, and it's ruining lives. People contact me regularly. Mm-hmm. to signpost them to professional services and it's a, it, they're telling me my story. That's almost 10 years on now, PJ.
5: Yeah, yeah I was just going to ask you, how, how long is it now since you placed a bet? 15th
11: of January 2014 was the last time I had a bet.
5: When was the last time you wanted to?
11: Just at the weekend. Really? Yeah, just at the weekend. There was, and it was fleeting, PJ, there was an ad came up on the television I think it was in relation to one of the rugby matches that are on at the moment, and uh, it looked inviting to me. Wow. Wow. And I thought, that'd be nice. And um, thankfully, I've I've developed a way of recognising an urge like that and sitting with it. But, you know, for people in early recovery, that might be the the trigger that would send them back into that that horrible place that they don't want to be in.
5: We mentioned Cheltenham. There are other times in the year... That are uh, difficult. Like you said, the, the Rugby World Cup at the moment, Christmas, New Year, pretty much anything really can provide difficulty for someone.
11: Yeah, it does. And like that brings us back to like the incessant advertising of gambling yes. and it, 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 it's, it, how it has embedded itself in all sport now. And it has done so uh, with a free reign both here and in the UK. Um, you see gambling advertising on every single sporting event now. Yeah. Is it time to ban it? 100%. The time to ban it was 10 years ago. The next best time to ban it is now. 100% it's time to ban gambling advertising. It's time to educate people around gambling, and it's also time to regulate the gambling industry that has a, had a free reign on gambling in this country for the last 100 years. And Peter, just another point that I want to make yes. around that is when you see gambling advertising on the TV and at the end of their gambling ad- advert, they'll ask you to bet responsibly. Yes. Okay. They're putting the onus on the gambler. No. where is the onus on the gambling industry to act responsibly? Because they have acted recklessly yes. for so long, for too long.
5: There's another catchphrase on you don't, I haven't so much seen it here, but you certainly see it on uh, British television ads and hear it on British radio ads. When the fun stops, stop. Much easier said than done, I would think.
11: Absolutely. PJ, it's like when you go to the pub for a few points and you're, you're, you you tell yourself that I'll have four points and I'll head away home. And next thing, the crack is mighty and you, you decide to go up to the top shelf. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I do. After a couple, you're thinking, I'm going to stay on now and I'm going to enjoy the party. When you're sucked into it, when you're in the middle of it, if you're chasing a loss, you're not going to say, I'm 200 in the hole now. I'm just going to walk out the door and leave that 200 behind. That's not how it works. And Mm -hmm. it's far too simplistic to think you can just walk away from such an addictive product. Mm. It's very easy to say, oh, like, you know, you're losing. It's the most obvious thing in the world. You need to stop gambling. That's fine, but like it's an addiction and we need to treat it as an addiction deserves. You know, gambling addiction needs to be treated as a public health emergency, is what it is now at the moment. Looking at the figures that were released, it's far more prevalent than we, it was believed to be, but the services aren't there for people to work out of addiction.
5: This needs to be a wake-up call to all of us. Owen, thank you. Thanks, PJ. Cheers. That's that's uh, Owen. Owen Coyne. Don't you just admire the man's honesty? Like, it's 10 years since he placed a bet, and it's only last weekend he felt like he might, but he managed to talk himself out of it. Good man. Kate says, why don't they have a system where you can block access to these sites at mobile phone level with the providers? Been done for other things. I know a couple and the man sold all the furniture in the house while his wife was away for the weekend. He sold it for gambling money. And there are horror stories out there like that case. All the furniture sold in the house. Or a second, I heard of a case one time, a second mortgage on the property that the wife knew nothing about. And the mortgage was being spent on gambling. 0818969696, but those figures that have come out yesterday indicate, as Owen said, the problem is a lot worse than we ever thought it was. One adult in thirty of us is now a problem gambler, and many of them spending more than a thousand euro a month. Philip has a problem with gambling. He's been clean now for a while, but he is struggling. I'll talk to Philip next. 0818 96 96
4: 96. Join the conversation.
5: This is the Opinion Live.
3: With Hidden Hearing. Changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz
4: 96
3: FM. The Cork Diary On Cork's 96FM A fundraising concert in aid of the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and Marymount Hospice in memory of John Mulcahy takes place in the Arches Mallow Marquee on Friday the 13th of October Cash Returns Johnny Cash and June Carter Live Tribute Show starts at 8.30pm It's a strictly over 18s event and tickets are available in the Arches If you have an event you would like mentioned email the details to Cork Diary at 96fm.ie
5: So, Philip, uh, how long is it now since uh, you last placed a bet or gambled in any way? Morning. Good morning,
12: PJ. Uh, yeah, it's about, I'd say it's about over a year now, you know. Uh,
5: it's
12: not, not even over a year, maybe nine months that way. And you know what, PJ? Gambling, gambling for me, will always be my, uh, my, my go to Addiction when I'm when I'm struggling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's the silent one. You mm-hmm. understand? Mm-hmm. It's the one that no one knows that you're you're doing it. But but it's your head. It's my it's my own head tells me, you know, you're doing wrong here. You're doing wrong here. Look at the treatment centres you're in already for this, you know. And it's the worst one of all. I think it done more damage to me than any drinking drugs
5: son, and that's the truth. How far back does your problem go?
12: My. Problem started with gambling Oh In 2007 I would have been Seven years clean From drinking drugs At the time Okay And uh, I was waiting Actually to go To a recovery meeting And I seen these Neon lights In the casino Mm -hmm. And I said Whoa What's in here And I went in And I never Never used a, A slap machine In my life It was my first time Ever using a slap machine and this old woman in there was showing me how to use the machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I seen was my money going down and down. And I said, this is a joke. And I hit it again uh, to spin the wheel and asked uh, to hit the button. And uh, the alarms went off and the sirens went off and everything. And I thought I was after breaking the machine. I was actually after winning the jackpot. And it was a substantial amount of money because it wasn't one in so many, so many months.
5: Okay, okay.
12: So I was automatically
5: hooked. Was that the trigger? That was the trigger for me. The money that you won that day, did you put that straight back into the machine?
12: No, I didn't put it straight back into the machine. I actually I actually used it sensibly, but I also they they probably got they probably got the bones of another four or five thousand back.
5: Which was that yeah. much, was
12: it? So, yeah, I was a well over it, yeah yeah I was, I was I was actually shocked because the woman was telling me she said Do "You have to win the jackpot and I thought the jackpot be only about 200 euros and then when she told me what I was after winning oh my god I nearly got a heart attack on the
5: spot and how quickly Philip were you in trouble
12: I'd say about uh, a few months after that uh, PJ like I was in trouble uh, with, with gambling then I was in trouble with gambling then because I was going to other recovery meetings and uh, I couldn't wait to get out of the meeting to, to actually go to go gambling.
5: So you were going to your drinking drug recovery meetings and then coming out of them to go gambling? Yeah, 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 that's what I was doing. And did it dawn on you at all like that this is another addiction had set in? Did that dawn on you?
12: Not at the start, yeah. not at the start. Because I I didn't realise I I I it, it was in it was probably in the later stage when I went to my first treatment centre like I realised this is like this is this is another addiction that I'm after getting like so I drink drugs and gambling and I was saying what this is mad and like like I remember being in the treatment centre and uh, my I like I I was I was after having a drink and drug and nearly. Four years at the time, four and a half years, five years, and uh, uh, the sweat was pouring out of my hands, and my heartbeat was racing. And I went down to the doctor, and I said to the doctor, I said, what's wrong with my hands? And he said, uh, you're getting withdrawals. I said, but I didn't have a drink in a drug in years and years. And he said, no, he said, you're getting, gamb- you're getting withdrawals from gambling. He said, what? I said, why? I said, how's no, that? He said, you, use, you leave off the same dolphins in your, in your brain that you, you, use, you leave off when you're drinking and um, when you're taking drugs. And, and this was all new to me, PJ, because I didn't realise this. I said, what?
5: Drinking and taking drugs has a physical effect on the body. And when you withdraw from them, then you expect a physical withdrawal. But you don't expect that from gambling. And that's what you, you suffer that.
12: Yeah, I suffered that. It's the same thing when you're gambling. You're, you're like, in the end, what I realised is that it wasn't about winning. It was about the rush. I was getting a rush. I was getting that that hit mm. that I would have got when I was drinking and taking and drugs. So, and and I I I I loved it. I loved that hit. Like I could I could have lost. I I would have lost thousands in the casino and it wouldn't have bothered me. You know what I mean Or any other a normal kind of person if there's if like you know what I mean there's a person that's not a compulsive gambler would be ready to throw themselves into the river. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. But with me it just I just like it wasn't about winning.
5: Looking back now how much money did you throw into the machines?
12: Oh Jesus man I I I actually couldn't I couldn't answer that. I couldn't answer
5: that. Oh, yeah. like, a, a lot of money. A lot, of, a lot money.
12: of money. How did you fund it? A lot of money. I I because I was doing a scheme and, I, was, and uh, I, I would have been doing a far scheme. And do you know what? I would have been doing a bit of work here and there. so But every penny I made went into them machines and uh, it affected everything. It affected my rent. It affected everything. Do you know, I wasn't paying for my rent. and, and uh, no, it's a, I think it's actually one of the worst and sneakiest addictions yeah. out there.
5: Yeah, yeah. And what happened to get you into treatment? Was there a moment? Was there a, an incident?
12: Uh, to be honest, I was getting ready to rob a post office. Wow. I was getting ready to rob a post office. I did all planned and uh, because I needed more money. And uh, I remember ringing, ringing the treatment centre and saying that, uh, you know, I'm... I'm in a bad place here i need to i need to get out of i need to get out of society i need to get away from society before I do something drastic
5: you were so desperate that you were putting a plan together in your head to rob a post office yeah, and something told you ring a treatment center instead
12: yeah so like like uh, something said like oh, you need to you need to do something here. I tell you what I was going to do, PJ, and this is the honest truth. My head was so gone at this stage. I was, I had my, I was waiting for it to get dark. I had my passport in my backpack, and I was going to throw myself into the river. And I throw myself, if I threw myself into the river, I had my passport in my backpack, and they wouldn't, they'd have no problem identifying me then from my family. That's the way I thought How of about it. You and father. then I said, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's where it brought me, PJ. I I wanted to die. I wanted to die. I I I hated. I I it came to a stage, you know. I came to a stage that I'd be walking down the road, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm in I'm in I'm in a a, a casino. Even no plans to go to that casino. You know what I'm saying? I do. And I just end up in a, a casino, and I was saying, What what? It it actually it, it it actually took over my whole my whole uh, my whole mind and I noticed like I noticed uh, I noticed uh, like uh, maybe a lot of people would be uh, a lot of young people are starting to go into the casinos as well you know uh, I've seen it myself and uh, I, I, do you know what no, I struggle, I struggle I struggle it's the one I struggle with buddy and that's the truth that's the one I struggle with that's the one I
5: struggle with I'm talking to you on your mobile yeah and that's the yeah. most dangerous thing of all the mobile phone in your pocket yeah. because it's all in there if you yeah. want it. How do you, how do you resist that, Philip? Yeah,
12: it, I find it hard. I find it hard to resist that. The fellow was telling me about it there a few few months ago, and I said, you know well, I'm not even going to go near that now? Because that would be that would be, you know, that's the one that that's the one that would would destroy me totally."
5: Are you literally getting through? Day by day, and each day that you don't go into a casino is a good day. Is that where you are right now? Yeah,
12: yeah, yeah. That's it. That's, it, 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 that's where it is. That's where it is. And, uh, and do you go like, to meetings? I, I, I didn't go to a GA meeting in a long, long time. I, I kind of go to another recovery meeting okay. that helps me an awful lot, and i I've, i I've, i I get great help there. But uh, I even share it, like in the in, in, in the recovery meeting I go to. That's oh, that the one I struggle with. It's the one I struggle with, and and uh, and there's another one or two lads in there as well that have uh, have that problem as well, you know.
5: So on a day like today, now on an ordinary day, you're walking through town and you feel the urge. What do you do? Do you pick up the phone and call someone? What do you do? Do
12: you know what? No. Sometimes it gets the better of me, and sometimes I I walk past it. And do you know what? TJ. So, like, I could go I could go months and months without thinking of gambling and then something could happen, like life in life's terms or whatever the case may be, and it'll just drive me over the edge and, you know, I'd win and have a flutter. And, that, and, that, and, that, and that's being honest. It, it's the one that I struggle with.
5: Well, you know what? First of all, Philip, thank you for your honesty. And secondly, I wish you well with getting through today without going through that door. How's that?
12: Thanks, PJ. Thanks a million, mate.
5: Wow, there's a, a lot of honesty there in in Philip. You have a good day, fella. Hey. Oh, wait, one 8 96 96 Every time he passes the door of a casino, he feels the urge and he resists it as best he can. Oh, wait, one 8 96 96 Anybody else caught up in this gambling? It, it is. They're calling it now and they're asking for people to call it a public health emergency. And it is. Gambling is a disease. Gambling is, addiction rather, is a disease. Addiction is a condition. A public health condition. And now, these figures, if you in case you missed it, there are ten times the number of problem gamblers in the country than anyone ever thought. One adult in 30. So think of the people you know. Think of the people you know in your life. Think of the adults you know in your workplace. If you're in a workplace and there's 30 people there, chances are one of you is a problem gambler. Think about that for a second. If you play football uh, or, or hurling or any kind of sport at all, and in your sport, there might be 50, 60, 70 members in your club. One in 30 of them is a problem gambler. Maybe it's you. If it is you, then go try to get help. But those numbers are very, very stark. And thank you to uh, to Philip and thank you to Owen. Both of them searingly honest this morning in their, in their own addiction story. 0818 96 96 96. One hopes that the politicians are listening and will put legislation through ASAP to, to sort out the advertising and sort out the, the mess that's there. Speaking of politicians, do you know they they say teachers have enough to be doing to teach? Over in the UK, Labour, led by Keir Starmer, who lots of people say would be the next Prime Minister. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not so sure it's a slam dunk. A lot of people think it is, but I'm not so sure. In the UK, he has rubbed teachers up the wrong way now. By suggesting that they supervise teeth brushing or toothbrushing in schools in certain areas. Areas where there are high tooth decay among the smallies. The five-year-olds maybe, six-year-olds. Mr. Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, is suggesting that teachers supervise dental care. The teachers unions are not happy. Not happy at all effectively saying, hang on now a second, Sir Mr. Starmer, Sir, uh, haven't we enough to be doing to try to teach them without cleaning their teeth as well? I hope to goodness it doesn't happen because can you just imagine someone trying to drive that through the schools here and trying to tell the INTO that they now had to supervise the brushing of teeth in the schools? Can't see that going down well, can you? And... I'm sorry, it is not the job of a teacher to supervise the brushing of a child's teeth. That's the parent's job. That's the parent's job. Although they do say, statistically in the UK, just coming back to that one, it's the number one reasons for kids going to hospital. Maybe it is. But is it a teacher's job? Is it a teacher's job to make sure little Johnny... Is cleaning his teeth or knows how to clean his teeth. I don't think it is. I don't think it ever could be or should be.
4: Join the conversation. This
5: is the Opinion line
3: With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit HiddenHearing.ie. Fox 96
4: FM. The minds are live. Hello.
3: Join the conversation Call 0818
4: 969696. 96,
3: 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 3 Email opinion at
4: 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Pogs 96
5: FM Yeah, looking forward to that rugby match tomorrow night the, the, <laughs> You start reading the permutations and combinations You'd frighten yourself Look, win that match and we're safe Draw that match And we're More than likely safe Lose that match You could still be safe The only way To not go through For Ireland At this stage Would be To lose that match And not get any Bonus point at all For win- for losing Just go out and win it lads. Just go out and win it Or at very worst A draw they've, eat- they've beaten Scotland The last eight times In a row so hopefully we'll knock out the other one. The, the ninth in a row. Although Scotland are good now. Scotland are very good this time out. Oh be nervous again. Be nervous again. Like didn't breathe. I didn't breathe for the whole of the South African match. It we'll would be a mess again tomorrow night, like. We really will. And then there's a quarter final with a bit of luck. And we'll be even worse for that. Oh the exciting times though to be an Irish rugby fan. oh81896. 9696. 96. Now a conversation that has dominated us this week was about conditions in prison. I was talking to sisha Brady from the Irish Penal Reform Trust about a situation in Cork Prison where this day last week there were 10 inmates who slept on mattresses on the floor of their cells because Cork Prison is overcrowded spoke to Saoirse O'Brady about it and she said that that should not happen. Nobody should ever have to sleep on the floor of their cell, that being deprived of your liberty was enough and that this was cruel and inhuman treatment. Uh, The response to Saoirse was mixed. Most people, uh, anyone in particular whose life had been touched by a, a serious crime, just didn't care where they were sleeping. In fact, Dee yesterday said they're lucky they're not homeless, as she was one time. And Dan, whose house was broken into And his wife terrorised And his wife still doesn't sleep And his wife, his, his grandchildren still won't stay in the house He doesn't care Whether the guy who robbed his house Is sleeping at all And that's kind of where the discussion has been For the last couple of days I'm grateful to Mike who got in touch with us Mike, now it's a few years ago And Cork Prison has changed But, but you did time there Good morning
13: Good morning TJ, how are you?
5: When did this happen? When when did you spend time in Cork prison?
13: Um, I was, uh, spent time in Cork prison in two thousand and eight. Um, by that eighteen month sentence. Okay. What did um, you do? Um, I I I did a lot of stuff, for PJ, You know, um, I did a lot of bad stuff to a few people. Um, but
5: did you rob people? Did you? Con people?
13: No, no. It's uh, robbing premises and. Stuff like that,
5: you know. Okay. 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 So you got 18 months and you did, normally um, if you get I, in, you do about what, 10 or 11?
13: Uh, I did um, about 11
5: months. Okay. Uh, in torture. Okay. What was it like in prison?
13: Um, it was degradable, you know. Um, it, it, I found it hard, you know, because of my mental health and stuff. Yeah. Um, but as the months went down, you know, I started thinking to myself, what am I doing here? What am I after doing and mm. is, there, is there any way that I can change myself when I do get out of prison? so um, what was a
5: typical day like? Cast your memory back, Mike? Uh, um
13: a typical day was um I used to be a uh, cleaner on the landings um, okay. that I was in. Um so that kind of passed away the few hours that
5: we got left out left the cells. What time would you know, the, what time would you be called in the morning? Uh
13: you would be called about eight o'clock in the morning, and um, you know to go and clean the landing and get your breakfast and stuff. Mm.
5: You you had to slap out now that's gone, but you no, had to slop out. Yeah, but we had to slap out,
13: you know, and that was degradable, you know, it was degradable, you know, because it was
5: too Describe for someone who's heard the term. And, and only imagined what it... What, what is slopping out, Mike? Like, there were two or three even in the cell.
13: Yeah, there'd be, well, there'd be two in the cell, but the maximum of three, uh, with a fella sleeping on the floor. Um, basically, you have a, a pot that, that's in your, that was in your cell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a pot, you know, for cooking spuds, and small the pot, like, you know, for cooking spuds and stuff.
5: Yes, except but, you were using it to go to the toilet in.
13: Yeah, yeah, inside yourself and
5: And in the morning you had to carry it out, did you?
13: Yeah, in the morning you had to carry it out down through one sided landing down to the bottom of the other landing.
5: And what would they do then? And pour it was there a toilet then you pour it down there, was it?
13: Yeah, there was, yeah, and you just wash wash it out then. But um they wouldn't wash it out with your hands, you just put it under mm-hmm. the tap and just strip around it. So so,
5: so eight o'clock in the morning there's a queue of fellas going along a landing. Yeah, With pots yeah. full of.
13: You are ringing. Yeah, whatever.
5: Whatever. Whatever yeah. you're having yourself. Yeah. And, and they have to go to a toilet.
13: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's degradable as well because you're sharing still with two or three fellas and then you're, you're standing, you're trying to bring as tight to the corner as you can holding the pot at the same time. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
5: Did, and did everybody. Please tell me every every fella had his own pot, Mike.
13: Um, well. Sometimes you would have a pill that has his own pass, it, or else there's two in the cell that use the same pass. You know. Oh,
5: God. Okay. No said. And after that, then you hopefully um, get a chance to wash th- your hands.
13: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You go up there, go up for a shower after that, then, and you know, just clean yourself up, smile, bit, and you know, go in there, clean out yourself, and then do what... uh to do whatever job you had then in the prison itself
5: like so Yeah you get to you get the breakfast I suppose and then yeah. do the bit of work. Right. How much time of the twenty four hours in the clock, how much time were you spending inside in the cell with the door locked?
13: Um till we get left out until um at nine o'clock until about eleven or twelve mm-hmm. and then you're locked up then for dinner um until two and then you're back out in at 2 until 4. Locked back up then at 4 to 5 or 6.
5: Wow. So and you're in an in And would yeah. you be doing your cleaning all day or was there... Yeah, yeah, you would. You would. Um,
13: you'd, be, you'd be doing it uh, at least twice a day. I see. You know? You'd be doing it twice a day.
5: Yeah. Um, it's the I, trusted prisoners who get the cleaning jobs, isn't it, Mike? You know. It is, yeah. It is. Because you'd be a well-behaved fella for that because you know yes. you you'd have bleach and you'd have mops and you'd have dirty water yeah, hot water i assume yeah. yeah it would hot water yeah yeah, it yeah. would so you it did would. your you, you did your 11 or 12 months and and you, and you came and you came out uh, what yes. did you do what did you do then
13: um, i came out and i stayed in cork for a couple of weeks um, then i moved to galway mm. and um i was in galway for a month or two and then um I approached um an officer from the civil defence and asked if if I'd be able to, to join up with the
5: civil defence. Where, where did you stay in Galway? Did you have a place um, to
13: go? Yeah, I had I was renting I was staying with my girlfriend uh, for a couple of days and then I moved out and got my own my own house. Okay. Okay. Got my own apartment. Right, okay. And then um I start the training with the civil defence.
5: Okay, and when um, the civil defence see this fella in front of them who's just done a year and a bit in prison, how do they yeah. react to that?
13: Um, well, I was up in the with them, you know. I wasn't going to lie to them, and I just told them what happened. And the officers said that they were they were going to give me a chance and see how I get on. And um, so I was put on um, probation for six months. And mm-hmm. um, but I was out on active duty, but I wasn't allowed to go near a patient until after my six months was right? see. Um
5: done. So right. And you didn't Red Cross training and all that? Yeah,
13: yeah. Um I I I did search and rescue with the civil defence and I did uh my cardiac first responder advanced with them. Good man. And then um after a couple of years, then, my mental health kind of went downhill. So a decision was made for me to to leave the civil defence. And um, I moved to County Leash. Right. And then I started up with the, the Irish Red Cross there. And that worked out for me well.
5: Is that where you are now?
13: No, I'm back in Cork, PJ. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm back in Cork. Um, I'm back in Cork the last number of years. Good man, Are you working? So, no, nothing at the moment, PJ. Um, at the moment, I'm I'm suffering from mental health issues. And, okay. Um, but
5: uh, you're getting help with that?
13: Oh yeah, I am, PJ. Um, I have the best um, psychiatric um, doctors and nurses. Good and man. Doctors. Good
5: man. Well, I sincerely hope it'll come right for you.
1: Yeah. Again,
5: yeah. when you hear people talking about prison conditions, so Sirisha was on at me the other day and we, we read out the conditions as described in Cork Prison, it's overcrowded and there's people sleeping on mattresses on the floor of a cell. And the Irish Penal Reform Trust say to us that shouldn't be happening, it's wrong. But people who were the victims of crime say they don't care. Having spent time in the prison, admittedly a different prison now where they were slapping out and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. How, do you resp- how do you respond to someone who says, like Dan said, well, my wife hasn't slept a night properly yeah. since our house was burgled, so I don't care whether he's even sleeping. What yeah. do you say to that?
13: Well, to be honest with you, PJ, um, I'd be agreeable with, with that man, you know. Um, I was like that when he was in prison and I know what I've done to people, like, you know, I've upset them and I've done bad things to them, you know. But um, at the end of the day, PJ, if they want to go out and at the end of the day, we went out and they committed a crime and, you know, we paid for at the end of the day, yeah. you know.
5: Is um, losing your liberty. That's what the penal reforms trust say. That's what Searsha said the other day. Losing your liberty is the punishment.
13: It is. It is the punishment, you know. Um it it is it is the punishment because you don't have a key for your door, you know, you can't go out and text on Facebook, you can't go out and meet your friends. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Once once you're locked up behind that door, they're locked up behind it, you
5: know. Watched twenty four seven, I suppose.
13: Yeah, every 20, every 15 to 20 minutes the um, yeah, prison officer will come around and look in on you. But um, I have I have changed, you know, and, and I'm glad I haven't been inside. Inside to go out for prison yeah. since I left in two
7: thousand. You, you decided,
5: then, didn't you, Mike, at one... Look, so many guys go out and go back in and, and I'd, I'd be just as happy to talk to someone who's done that too. But you decided very early on in your sentence, this is my first time and my last and, time
13: yes, that's correct. my first time and my last time yeah you know and um i I just want to apologize to the people that that have been victims of crime like can on on my own behalf I like to apologize to the people that I part as well you know.
5: It's a while ago um, now. Do you think they'd recognise yeah. your voice, Mike?
13: Um I I think they probably would PJ, you know, they probably would.
5: Okay, do you want to talk to them for thirty seconds without me talking about
13: you? Um I, I just want to to apologize to the people that I hurted and um and I I just want to uh deeply say sorry for what I have done. Okay. And um I I I have changed like the motor and um and I'm not going to get back into trouble or anything like that. So I just want to apologize to anyone that I posted. Okay. In two thousand and eight.
5: Okay. Mike, it's it's good to talk to you. I wish you well with your health and Thanks I wish you well attention. with your future. Look after yourself, fella, and Thanks thank you well. for contacting us.
13: Thank you, Jeff.
5: Cheers. That's Mike. Um did time in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Has never done time since. Got his life back together. Trained at the Civil Defence. Trained at the Red Cross. First aid professional. Cardiac first responder. Advanced first responder. He's out of work at the moment because he's not well, but he's doing okay there too. He's getting treated. <sighs> yeah. Slopping out. I'm I'm glad slopping out is gone. Like whatever about having to sleep on the floor of a cell for a few nights on a mattress. That's tough. But slopping out with a bucket of you know what, at seven or eight in the morning. that That's inhuman. That's not necessary in 2022 or 2023. It doesn't happen now anyway. It was outlawed. I, what was the name of the guy? There was a fella who sued the government over it. I think he was a cork fuller too, and his name his name um, escapes me right now. So therefore, I won't even try and remember it because I'll get it wrong. 0818 96 96 96. So Mike went in there once, and decided very early on, I'm getting out of here and I'm never coming back again. Um, is there anybody listening, and we don't have to do this today, but is there anybody listening who has been in and out a few times? And, and maybe had those good intentions, but when they came out, it all fell apart on them. Anyone like that would chat with me. On The Opinion Line.
4: Join the conversation. This is The Opinion Line.
3: With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit HiddenHearing.ie. 96 FM.
4: Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one. With your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
6: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help.
5: Gambling and those figures that came out yesterday. column good morning to you.
7: How are you? I'm good. When hear about this, I'm not a bit surprised because one of the main things... Hold
5: on, that's not the best line in the world, column Can you get a bit closer to that phone, maybe? Okay.
7: One of the things that I see about the gambling is that the latter is probably one of the biggest...
5: Probably...
7: And, uh, I'd say the lotto is the biggest gambling organization in Ireland. In the sense there's a couple of things that I find wrong about it. Selling of lotto tickets and scratch cards in the interest of most shops I think is wrong. It should be put away where the alcohol is. Really? So that if somebody wants to gamble, then let them gamble down there. Uh, the lotto advertises a sense of, oh, we do for charity work. I think that's false as well in the sense it's a commercial organisation making money. Yeah. Uh, the, third thing, the third thing I have my be at the moment with them is that they have this thing where you've won three euros and you get a free card for the Euro million draw.
5: Yeah.
7: And now that's, they, they're they chatting that as a win, but it's not a win, but it, because they don't give you the choice whether you want to gamble or not.
5: Yeah, I, I don't do the lotto very often, column, unless it gets to some astronomical figure of rollover, and then I'm thinking I, I might as well be in it as out of it. But I, I like you. I do see people there have buying their lunch, and they're yeah. buying their sandwich and their bottle of water, and with the three or four quid change, they're buying lotto tickets, and then they're going down and they're scratching them off, and they're yeah. coming back and they're getting more. And you'd have to think that buried within these figures that we got from the ESRI, that buried within them, if you look deep into it, are hundreds of people who just spend an awful lot of money on lottery tickets.
7: Yeah, well, the other thing I find is sad. sad, I saw, not too long ago, an elderly person, and I know they just had that pension. Mm -hmm. And they were buying scratch cards. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just at the post office. I've seen it in the shops as well. And uh, I think it's wrong. I just think if that wasn't there, the person buying the bottle of milk wouldn't have bought a if it wasn't straight in
5: front of them. Yeah, you think there should be a specific lotto outlet rather than in every yeah. second shop, yeah? Yeah,
7: it shouldn't be, it shouldn't, you have to physically go and get it somewhere else, You get, not where you're paying your thing. I have, and, yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's encouraging people to gamble, and playing the latter is gambling, because I do it myself, I play this. I'm
5: just stupid enough to do it, that's my problem. We've we've all got a scratch card in the hope.
7: Oh (laughs) no, I don't, no, 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 I'm not, I don't do the scratch cards, I know that's a scam from the very beginning. Well,
5: to be fair, no, we can't use the word scam, because you do win, but not as much as people would like to think. You can't use the word scam to be fair. I'm oh, sorry. I, yeah, it's okay. a legitimate business, Codham, but you know yourself.
7: No, it, no I think it's a, a gambling, but it should be called a gambling business. It shouldn't be called doing work for charity.
5: Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, look, look, they do give a lot back to, to projects and there's a lot of money. Around, go around the country there, go around to where you're down in East Cork, down around Yalway, you'll find lots of stuff supported by yeah, lottery money. But,
7: well, yeah, but if people wouldn't win, they're, they're giving back... Yeah, you know, I know. I know.
5: You know giving people back their own money.
7: Yeah, it's just their money. <laughs> this <laughs> is true. <So> then... <laughs> this is this is true. Yeah. And and if the Canadian government or whoever was pension fund, wouldn't bought bother thing if they didn't want making money out of
5: it? A very fair point. Yeah. A very so good
7: it is, point. It is a business.
5: Well, here's something that happened thing. a couple of years ago, and I only when I sat back and thought about it, did, did I realize. You know what? That's right. It was a thing when you'd have some young person coming up to their 21st birthday. What was oh. fashionable for a while was to go to the shop and buy them 21 scratch cards and put them into the card. And I went yeah. to a shop. I culpa here. I went to the shop to do it. <laughs> and the, the very nice lady at the counter said, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Yeah. I can only give you a three or four. I can't do that anymore. And I said, oh, "Okay, right." She said, and besides, she said, "Think about it for a second. You give some young person twenty-one scratch cards; they might happen to have a win off of one of them. <laughs> and what if they're vulnerable to a gambling addiction?" And I thought, yeah.
7: "Do yeah, you know what? That's
5: true. Yeah. Do you know what?
7: Call Good yeah, point. Not yes. Let's the twenty-one quid, anyway."
5: Oh. <laughs> I know, yeah. And let him waste let them waste it themselves <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Thanks, Colum. O eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah, look, the lotto is fun. The lotto gives a lot back to local charities and local sports clubs and all of that. But it's also very, very addictive. Tony Hello Tony. Oh, sorry, Eben. Your your yeah. club benefited from the lotto.
14: They did. They got a, they got a nice sum of them to help carry on and uh, help them build it. Uh, going back there a few years ago, you know. So like it's uh like I just this is that gentleman. I know gambling is gambling. But it's the same as drugs. Do you know what I mean? So like, you 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 spend you spend we say twenty euros a month on the on the on the lotto. We say what about the guy spending twenty euros a week on a bit of hash or something or whatever? You know what I mean? So like that's that's life. That's the way it is. People enjoy doing the lotto. Yes, see could they
5: well, see a, lot see of could be, they a lot of people enjoy putting a fiver on a horse, that kind true. of thing, and, and well, some people okay, enjoy but a but bit but of recreational cannabis too, Tony. But it's the yeah, addicts we got to be careful of. You know, we got to protect them.
14: Yeah, I understand. I understand that. But, but, but like as you say, uh, the addicts, if they need help, they will get the help. But there is people out there that don't want the help either. You know. So Understood. it's, uh, like, like it's, 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 it's hard, it's hard, we'd say, like, it's, like, the lotter for me, we said the lotter for me, it's fun. What yeah. you find is fun, that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, it's, it's, you go, you do it, like, as you said, you don't do it that often. No. I do it once a week. I do it once a week.
5: I, I, I do it, I, I do it, know? I have a kind of a thing, when the lotter, when the jackpot goes over a certain amount, usually five or six million, when the lot- I, I'm kind of saying, well, I'm not having some fella... Up the country winning that without yeah. me at least having a shout of it. That's when I yeah. a do you know what I mean.
14: I'm in it to win it, and if I win they win well and good, you know what yeah. I mean? So like I know I know when I do with some things yeah. when, I it, when I win it, you
5: know. But you see, Tony, you um, don't you don't have the problem in that you don't get the endorphin rush that say someone like Philip does when he gambles uh, and, and, and he's yeah. addicted to the endorphin you you don't get that, you see.
14: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, again. It's like I know a friend of mine that's addicted to a uh, uh, coke that you drink. He must have about ten cans of coke a day. Yeah, he just he just, he just eats it. you know what that's I mean? That's a genuine addiction. Is that? that is a
5: genuine addiction. It's, he's addicted to the ingredients in the Coca Cola. Absolutely.
14: Yeah, you know. So like, it's we're addicted to things, and and and, and, and like paracetamol. You get addicted to tablets. It's just it's just life. It's just where it goes. Yeah. But some people would some people do it for fun. So don't take away the fun. When other people hurt their heart, I understand that, but okay. you must have some fun. You must have some in life well, to well, well, carry well, well, on. You know? Well, the point
5: I would—I'd I'd agree with you on, on this level, Tony. In you know, I make no secret of the fact that I love a pint, and, and sometimes yeah. I love a few pints. I, I'm very yeah. lucky in that I don't have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> very good. You very know, good. very lucky because I know people who do and have an awful problem whose lives have been destroyed by the thing. Do you know, but I'm one of yes, the lucky definitely. ones in that I can enjoy it recreatively if you want. The same I think yeah. goes for gambling. If you're lucky enough to be able yeah. to en- enjoy gambling recreationally, good for you. But yeah, but, but, yeah. but we need like, as a society to look out for those who can't do that, don't we?
14: Well, I agree with that. I agree with that. And like, once the fun once the fun has gone over putting a fibre on your horse, it's time to stop.
5: Yeah, it is. And 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 the problem is that so many people can't at that stage. Tony, thank you. Good call. O eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Frank says lockdowns exacerbated online gambling through boredom. Although I believe any new legislation on gambling won't apply to the national lottery, which seems crazy. I don't know about that, Frank. Maybe you're right. The other thing too, like online gambling, and I don't know about the legislation, I have not a good read into what's planned. But online gambling most of the online sites are based in the UK. So if I want to open up my phone and download an app from a British company and gamble away my month's wages, I'm gambling it in Britain. So Irish legislation, can that cover me and prevent me from doing that? And prevent that British company from taking my money? I sincerely hope it can, but I don't think it can. 0818... 96, 96, 96. Um, on prisoners, Burr says, Morning PJ, so much talk about prisoners sleeping on the floor. I have no sympathy. I do feel sorry for the sick and elderly sleeping on a hard chair in a hospital sometimes for two or three days at a time. That's right, Burr. And that's a kind of what Dee was saying yesterday. Dee was one of the most fascinating calls of the week. Um, she went through her own her own story of being homeless in the 80s and the reasons why she became homeless in the 80s. But she said the guy sleeping on the floor of a cell on a mattress should count himself lucky. He's not homeless and sleeping in a doorway.
4: Join the conversation. This is the
5: opinion line.
4: With
3: Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. 96 M-
5: Right, something completely different. Seeing as it is a Friday and all of that, it's about 230 days. I haven't done the exact count on, but it's there and thereabouts. 230 days to the next eurovision song contest which will be in malmo in sweden have a listen to this unmistakable song eurovision classic what's another year that is victoria keating and Anya o'gorman who have recorded that song together not only that but big eurovision fans both they have written a song to be considered for eurovision 2024 that song is called but ladies, I absolutely love that version of What's Another Year. Good morning.
2: Good morning, hey, Thank you.
5: Beautiful production on it. Yeah.
2: That's the wonderful Martin Leahy, um, who we've worked with before on several projects, um, yeah. but he really does a great job on this. You know, I would think a beautiful treatment of it, you know.
5: For two people yeah. who want to enter Eurovision, what a taster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the shape of things to come, PJ <laughs> we, we'll, we'll
5: talk about the song Bjoltena and, and the plan uh, a little bit later on, but Victoria your yeah. health, how are you?
2: Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm very good, I'm so grateful uh, for that, I'm very good today, PJ, I had my um, my my daughter and my grandson over from Amsterdam uh, for two weeks, so that was amazing, that was a huge boost, you know yeah. and I have my uh uh, sixth cycle of chemo tomorrow morning and um, and then I'd say there'll be a plan then for for the future in terms mm. of um probably the Pembroke I think keep on that for a while you know and um, so that'll be that'll be amazing but I'm so grateful for for everything does, you know?
5: does, does the chemo take it out of you
2: Oh, God, does it what? (laughs) Um, I'm actually going to be staying with my parents uh, because I won't be able to do anything for a couple of days. Like, I literally won't be able to do anything, you know. Um, I'll be flattened after it. But, I mean, uh, and I'm so grateful to be able to do that. You know, they opened up a room in their house for me, like, and they have a tiny house, like, so um, it's, you know, uh, and and they're doing everything for me. I'm not allowed to do anything, but I'm there, so I think I Mm -hmm. need to do that. This is life, and and life happens regardless, you know. Was the
5: diagnosis a big shock?
2: Yes, yeah. It was huge. It was a huge shock, you know. Um, it was stage four, so that was uh, something to get head and heart around, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was it's, very it's, lucky. And that it's, it's kind of frightening,
5: support. to say the least.
2: It's terrifying. It's terrifying because you're wondering. <sighs> you're, just, you're wondering all sorts of stuff. I know. And Sorry, um, I don't mean to upset you. No, it's fine. Some days I'm, I can talk about it and it doesn't bother me all the days then <laughs> if anybody you know if, if I'm talking about it at all I just start crying but that, that's just life and I accept that you know mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah so um,
5: and you're being tested for the Pembro
2: yeah I've been having it all along with the chemo right you know so it's working out, uh, responding very well to it. And Good. everything in my head, I'm, I'm down to a
5: stage two. <laughs> it's, it's a wonder so, drug, that stuff. And we know that. It's incredible. It's a,
2: incredible. Wonder, it's a yeah. wonder
5: drug, which is, which is great. So another session that came out tomorrow. Best of luck with yes. that. And hopefully be, you'll be fine you. again in, in a few days. Fine. Now, I'll you, you on guys, head. Anya, bring you in here. You guys are making music together a very long time.
9: Yeah, we are. Um, I met Victoria in college. We both went back to UCC to study music as mature students. And we just clicked kind of as friends. And also when we started singing together, it was like, oh, this, this is this is something I want to do a lot of. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was, it was easy, and it was the you know we, I just love singing with Vicky, yeah. and um and writing and hanging out and drinking coffee and messing and scheming mm. and all all of the other things. You know,
5: musically you sound very comfortable together.
9: I think so. Yeah, it's mm. like we can we've been singing so so long together. Now we kind of almost anticipate mm. what what the other person is going to do next, and you know we like to weave. Between melody and harmony, and you know, it's 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 just a joy. It's a joy to sing with um, Victoria. Yeah. So (laughs) So
5: (laughs) with a view, and by the way, do you both have the love of Eurovision?
9: Oh yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I have a a kind of a nostalgic association with Eurovision from my childhood. Like it was a very big deal in my house. You know, we would. Like we would be getting, there'd be snacks, there would be crisps and snacks and treats, and yeah. we'd all settle in um, to watch it on the Saturday, mm-hmm. and we'd get to stay up late for the voting, and it was a real event, you know. Did, and I did you lovely. do
5: up a little poster with boxes and fill them in as you were going along? No, that's
9: how sad <laughs> oh I my was. God, did do that? That's how sad I was. <laughs>
5: that's <laughs> that's great. I'd start oh, making that's it lovely. up on the Friday, and, I, and I'd have it in front of me and be filling them all in. Oh yeah, so I wish
6: you had done that.
5: Yeah, me too. Like <laughs> we've, got, we've now got three Eurovision sados on the line. That, that that's that's where I go. We're now you say.
9: We're the the smart ones.
5: Yeah, yeah it just. And the idea oh, then yeah. to record what's another year was that kind of a was that kind of a, a tribute to your love of the Eurovision.
2: Yeah, I guess um, I started doing it on my weekly online show, Little Room of Music, the show I started uh, during the pandemic, PJ, mm. because when Shay Healy died, I wanted to just. And pay tribute to him in some way you know so I, I did this all on my own and then I did it with Martin Leahy and it's pretty much kind of the arrangement um, it, it started from that I guess and uh, then I, I just I was like as soon as I started singing I was like oh my god I just want to sing this with Anya <laughs> and um, so we did and then we recorded it and yeah absolutely it would you know, it was, um, it just turned out so lovely. We've been performing it at gigs and we've always gotten such a great reaction to it. People singing along in the chorus, you know, which yeah. is a beautiful thing in a room, as you know, full of people. And uh, so we decided to, you know, record it and put it out um, at the same time as putting a song into Eurovision as a tribute and a way of, um, I suppose, uh, maybe getting people support behind us for the Eurovision as well. Do you
5: know? Well, now the song that you have written, or, well, well, it wasn't written for Eurovision, but you've taken this no. song "Bieltena" and yes. you've rejigged it down to three minutes, and you've yeah. <laughs> you've put a bit of fizz in it. I'm not allowed to hear it yet, of course. No, you put no. a bit of fizz in it to see can you get to Eurovision? <laughs> yes.
2: Totally.
9: Yeah, I mean, when we wrote it, we we just wrote it um, around. Um, around that time, so that's why we wrote. it But then, like it, it is so catchy. Like the the chorus is, you couldn't help but sing along to it, you know. And we just mm. thought this would make a really brilliant Eurovision song, mm. um, just because it's a good song, you know. And it's it's got all mm. of the elements of a of the kind of song we think would do really really well if we were to get Malmo, you know. I think it would, it kind of harks back to those, you know, that those really big Irish songs that you, you know that we that we used to write, you know.
5: Yeah, when we won it seven times
9: the big songs
5: we were known for, to do it again would be, would be wonderful. You're almost manifesting it, though, that you two are already in Malmo, like.
2: Yeah, okay, yeah. we are.
5: <laughs> yeah. You are, aren't you?
2: Absolutely, we are. Absolutely, are there. like, you know, and because, I mean, I remember, like, I suppose my first Eurovision where I would have been conscious, like, of of the enormity of it was ABBA. And, like, you know, when they won with Waterloo. And, sure, like, we won it with Johnny Logan.
5: Fifty oh, from years ABBA. on, Tramaba. I just want to yeah. drop that in there. I know.
2: Oh like, Is it forty?
5: Fifty. I don't know. It's fifty.
2: Second, it Jesus. Oh my oh, goodness. My language. <laughs> that is big.
9: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we've decided <laughs> what we're going to wear and everything. PJ, we're we're that, we're
5: that certain. <laughs> Good. I love it. So you got to into the you got to get into the RTE selection process first. That yeah. can be harder than winning the blasted thing
9: maybe but we're hoping that our song we we we're so proud of this song and we're we mm-hmm. we just think it's such a brilliant song and yeah. we're hopeful that when they hear it they just won't be able to ignore it because you know
2: yeah. a good song yeah. is a good song you know mm. this is it, Anya. yeah exactly yeah. and and PG, like it we think it's undeniable like i would love if you could hear it because then you'd know do you know what i mean I know. you'd go I know. oh yeah yeah absolutely like
5: i'm i'm so looking forward to, to this we don't know how they're going to do it this year with with uh, Eurovision RT, whether they're going to put it on with Paddy Keelty on a Friday or what they're going to do. Hopefully, oh, yeah. You're in yeah. the process now. When will you know?
9: I'm not oh. certain because they've changed. Yeah. They've kind of changed the rules this year, and they, you know, they did an early submission, but they, they have since um, extended the submission deadline to the twentieth of October. So I'm not sure. It seems to be kind of a changeable thing.
2: God, it's, it's so long to find out. Isn't I know. It? I know. <laughs>
5: I just, I just want to hear Bielton, and now. I <laughs> Listen, you two, I, I, I hope that Johnny gets to hear What's Another Year soon. Oh, I, I might be that. able to use my contacts to maybe oh, make that happen for you. Oh,
4: that's amazing. We'll, we'll talk off here about that. All right, that. brilliant.
5: But I, I wish you both every success, and Vicky in particular, I wish you Fantastic. luck with battling that horrible, horrible thing.
2: Thanks so much. I'll be around for a long time, yes. <laughs>
5: definitely. <laughs> you got to get to Malmo. We definitely, yeah, definitely have to. <laughs> Victoria and Anya, I really enjoyed this. Take care, both of you.
9: Thanks
5: Thank you so, so much, PJ. You did. We did too. Cheers, bye-bye. Oh, 0818 It is 10 to 11, which means it is time once again for this. Go.
10: To protect, brought to you by Cork's 96 FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info.
15: This week on Ours to Protect, we look at three friends who have set out to change the products Irish women use one period at a time. Menstruation is a healthy part of life experienced by over 50% of the population of Ireland. Additional years of shame surrounding this normal bodily function has led to a lot of confusion when it comes to the range of menstruation products available and dependence on disposable items has led to stark environmental damage. Disposable period products are the fifth most commonly littered product found on European beaches. A person uses between 12,000 and 16,000 menstrual items in their life, making disposable items a huge source of single-use plastic. However, three friends based in Cork have set out to change the products Irish women are using. Riley was started by the all-female team of Anya Kilkenny, Fiona Parfrey, and Lauren Duggan to help this plastic problem. Lauren explains how the idea came to be. Um, Yes, so um, I started the business in
0: 2021 with my two co-founders, Oni and Fiona, and namely we were just frustrated with always running out of period care products when we needed them, Um, and then when we learned how much toxins and chemicals and also the environmental impact that mainstream period products had in the market, um, we decided to set up our own business and that's how Riley was born.
15: The average sanitary pad has a plastic content of 90% and a big brand pack of 14 pads contains the same amount of plastic as five carrier bags. Riley's products are made from 100% GOTS certified organic cotton and can take around 12 months to decompose when properly disposed of.
0: So a sanitary pad that you buy in a store can contain up to 90% plastic content. So to put that into context, that can take up to 500 years to break down. Um, and then with tampons, there can be up to 24 hormone-affecting chemicals found in a tampon, um, and things like bleach and pesticides and synthetics and fragrances that you know, aren't really required in period care products and can be very disrupting, I suppose, to your actual body. Um, so with Riley, we manufacture all of our products with 100% certified organic cotton and nothing else, so there's no toxins or chemicals. And then all of the packaging that we actually wrap up all the products in and it's all compostable and made from wood pulp.
15: While reusable alternatives in the forms of menstrual cups, period pants and cloth pads are currently available for use, their uptake is low. Riley have created products with that in mind. It's just at the kind of
0: core of everything of what we do, sustainability now. And I think any new business kind of coming out should really be kind of considering sustainability in everything that they do. Um, for us, when we looked at the period care market, and you know we're all women in our thirties and have been using these products for a very long time, we had no idea, I suppose, on, of the environmental impact that our products were having. Um, you know, a woman goes through an average 11,000 tampons in her lifetime, which equals to 5,500 plastic bags. So when you start to think there's 2.8 billion women menstruating and require these products on a regular basis, you know the compounded issue here is huge. Um, So when we looked at the market initially or kind of view as reusable options are the future. Um, But when we did market research, a lot of the feedback that we got was that whilst people are aware that reusable menstrual care products are better for the environment, 90% of women were still not personally willing to make the switch to those types of products from a lifestyle perspective. Um, So that was the real opportunity that we found for Riley. We wanted to create products that looked and felt and acted the same as the products that people were used to using, but just manufacture them in a more ethical um, way with sustainable ingredients.
15: So what are your options if you want to tackle period plastic? menstrual cups are not only eco-friendly but can be a real money saver as well of course this isn't right for everyone so washable pads or period underwear are other options for some though tampons and disposable pads are preferable and that's where riley's organic and plastic free options come into play to learn more about period plastic visit riley.ie or check the show notes of this episode
10: Hours to Protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the
5: IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out to Protect.ie for more info. And Hours to Protect back at the same time next Friday after 11 among other things. Let's find out what is going on behind the scenes at the Late Late Show because tonight is Paddy Keelty's fourth show. It's their country music special but the Late Late has lost its most senior producer, Jane Murphy, who, according to a memo, has been moved to another show. But the word is that she quit. because There are rows going on backstage. Uh, Among them, a row involving Paddy Keelty himself, who was not happy with the way Carl Frampton was brought on the show last week. He wanted to do a juicier interview with Frampton. And instead of that, he got plunked into this three-person panel that they do. What is going on behind the scenes of the new Late Late Show? I said to you before, and I'll say it again, I like what Paddy Keelty is trying to do with the show. So if he's uncomfortable after three or four weeks, then something needs to be done about that. Also, say elsewhere in the, the showbiz world this morning, Holly... Willoughby you know I often struggle to pronounce her name without calling it Holly Willy Booby. I don't know who called her Holly Willie Booby, but there you go. Um there's a kidnap plot. There's a fella before the courts this morning in the UK, just seeing a news flash there. A fella been brought before the courts after he was arrested on Wednesday for allegedly sending sinister messages to Holly Will- Willoughby. Um, So scared was she that uh, she was under police guard at her home last night. Uh, She lives there with her husband and children. Uh, She pulled out of hosting this morning yesterday. Uh, So frightened was she. This guy is in custody and appears he may be charged. Police treating it as a credible conspiracy to kidnap Holly Willoughby. And you know what? At a time when the Jill Dando story is all over Netflix on a documentary that we're told we must watch, it's a great one. Anyone who has seen it will tell you it's great. We Remember what happened to Jill Dando. So, you know, you can't overstate these things. High-profile people if they feel like they're in danger, then, then maybe they are in danger. 0818 96, 96, 96.
4: Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live.
3: With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96
5: FM. Something is not right. Tonight is the fourth episode of Paddy Kilty's Late Late Show. It's the country and western night. I must say, when they started promoing it two weeks ago, it was hilarious, uh, the way they did it. It will be a big success, because the country music show always is a big success. But all is not well behind the scenes of the new Late Late Show, where uh, Jane Murphy quit the show. Now, let's talk to Ken Sweeney, showbiz editor of The Sun. Ken, who is uh, Jane Murphy, and why is her, her departure a big thing? Good morning. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Jane Murphy is a senior
16: producer in RTE. She's worked on the show. She is the executive producer of the new Revamp Late Late show. She's a long history in RTE. And also, she was working on the show, revamping the show for the past, you know, God, probably five or six months uh, for Patrick Kilty. And three editions in, she's now walked. She's left. You um, know, uh, um, the head of RTE Entertainment. Um, pay tribute to her yesterday and spoke about what a fabulous job she done but the, the news is she's walked and there's sort of a lot of, we, we in the Irish Sun today, we, we, we've uh, a lot of insider info on what's been going on with the Late Late yeah. and the struggle that's taking place, and I suppose PJ if you want to put it down to something quite simple, it's this they've turned the Late Late show into a kind of a UK entertainment show and the problem is I think Irish people want something a bit different and uh, what's happened is they made such a big deal out of the first odd The first, you know, audience they got, which was like 980,000 for Patrick Hilty's first show, it's been dropping and dropping. The second week, it dropped a third of its listenership, dropped more a third. They're probably on their knees, thanking God they've got a country music special tonight because that takes the heat off them because Daniel will be on and God knows who else. But back to next week, it'll be back to a normal show. And holy God, um, it's a kind of a quite funny thing goes on where, if things get really bad on a TV show and it starts to become a disaster, you'll get people kind of protecting themselves, like like uh, you know, reputation control, and people will start distancing themselves from it and start jumping off the show. Mm. We hope that won't happen. Uh, PJ, I genuinely believe that that Patrick Kilty is a brilliant host for the late late show. In fact, he's the right man for
5: the job. Well, I've been saying it, Ken, Questions? the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I like him. I like what he's at. I yeah. like what I think. What he. Th- I yeah. seem to think he knows what he wants to do. But one of the stories you break today in the Sun is that he was very unhappy at the positioning of Carl Frampton last week and there was a lot of talk on Twitter about that interview he couldn't do the meaty interview he wanted to do and he wasn't happy about that
16: Yeah, so what's gone on straight away with the late late is they've got into a format, and the format is this that they bring on three guests, uh, you know, in a kind of a Graham Norton type panel of the show. Then they might go to uh, maybe they might go to an outside broadcast, they might go to uh, a music act, and then they'll go to something serious at the end like. uh, um, Tony Houlihan that uh, yep. losing his wife, or Rob Delaney. We'll interview that his was, kid. yeah. But it's yeah, there were, but it's a format. So what happened was they they now have these formats, and they thought, right, we've got this boxer guy. Now Patrick Kilty knows this guy's story. He knows it because he wrote the forward to your man's book, Frampton's book, so he knows all about it. But this poor guy was thrown in, um, to you know, into a three-man, sorry, three-person, uh, you know, three-person, um, panel at the start, and yes. it it was very obvious straight away that this guy had plenty to say and wanted to say it, but he wasn't in a position to say it, because he had, vote. was it, uh, who did he have next to him? He had, uh, he had two other guests Nina next Carberry to him. Nina
5: Carberry, and uh, who was the other one? A counter- oh, yeah, Joe, Joe Wicks. Wicks. Yeah. Joe
16: Wicks. So he had no chance to do it, and like, you know, I'm around the block a long time, like yourself, no doubt, and uh, what I'm told from old-timers and RTEs, Gay Bourne would say to his his researchers, well, first of all, Gay would send out a researcher who would sit down with whoever was going to be on the show, they'd, they'd talk for four hours, and then the researcher would come back to Gay Bourne back in RTE, and Gay would say, what is is Ken Sweeney's story? And the researcher would say, this is the story, and then Gay would have it. Gay would have the story, and he'd know what story to tell. I think the problem, PJ, with The Late Late is, instead of grabbing the story of the week and, and you know making a wave, you know, instead they're just trying to repeat the same entertainment show they, they ran the week before. And I suppose what i go just go back to what I said at the start about Irish people and English people having different tastes. English TV entertainment shows, people, guests come on and they get moved off pretty quick. Nobody stays too long talking about anything. Now, as opposed to Ireland, where Tommy Tiernan can come on his chat show and talk to somebody for 25 minutes. And you know what Irish audiences think? They love it. They can't get enough of it. They love it. They absolutely love it. So there is this quandary where... Alan Tyler, who's the new head of entertainment uh, in charge of the show. He's ex-BBC. They have Stephen Stewart, who's directing the show, a pal of uh, Patrick Kilty's. He's BBC. And then you've got Patrick Kilty, who spent most of his career um, on the BBC. So you got three guys, and they don't really know much about Irish TV. And that lady who's now departed, uh, Jane uh, Jane Murphy, she's a, a serious Archie Hand. She knows... Irish TV backwards, and I'd say you know what, from what I believe was she had very little control over what was going on, and she obviously doesn't doesn't think. This is they're going the right way, yeah. and I suppose there'll probably be a lot of conflict. You know what it's like in radio stations and newspapers and everywhere else. If there's continuing conflict anywhere, they'll yeah. say, "Well, who? You know, if there's a row going on here. Let's take the person that's, that's having the row out of us, and then we'll all have a quieter time." You and mentioned that could
5: be you, what's going on. You mentioned the way Gabo used to do it with the big guests, and yeah. you know he, he he would always know if something needed to be left breathe, and he would yeah, silently. Yeah hint to the gallery this this is gonna breathe here and he was rarely if ever wrong when that happened but reading your story this morning clearly paddy keelty knew carl flampton was coming on the show but had absolutely no say in where he was positioned
16: yeah and you know the 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 reason that the the problem really is this that when when they start off with a format, and they decide they're going to have three guests, and they decide there's going to be an outside broadcast, and they decide the sad thing is going to, the sad story is going to be at the end. They kind of pigeonhole everybody, and they have teams set aside for that. So they they kind of pushed, they you know, you know, they shipped, they just pushed him into a three-man interview, which wasn't really the way to go. And you know, and it, it's that sort of you know they, they they're stuck in this format, and it's very hard to kind of change when you. You've got, you've got, you know, staff members assigned to, you know, the outside broadcaster assigned to that, that three-person lineup, And it's, I mean, you know, you've got to kind of uh, drop the things each week that aren't working and, and keep the things that, that, that are, and, and keep moving forward and keep changing the thing. I've no doubt, PJ, that the late, late will sort it out. Yeah. That, you know, they've, they've got 30 episodes. I would say 10 episodes in, they'll find their audience, they'll kind of get it right. But there's a lot of, <laughs> as I said at the end of the piece, it, be, it's a very pressurised place I wouldn't like to be in the Late Late Show office at the moment because yes. there'll be murder going on because they've all, they all have ideas about what's going on and, and as I said they made such a big deal at the huge audience they got on the first night they keep dropping they keep dropping and, and no one likes to be around a show that's, that's a losing audience and God help us they'll have Tommy Turner coming back on soon and Tommy Turner will be will start to get huge ratings and yeah. then you know it'll be, you know, be Paddy against Tommy and oh, it'll be absolute murder but it's, it's a big show it's a big show but it's a particular type of show in Ireland yeah. it's not like anything on, on the BBC or on UK TV the Late Late Show is a very separate beast and I think the, the people who've taken it over Patrick Kilty and, and Alan Tyler and Stephen Stewart the director I think they're finding
5: that out yeah I think you're right when you say it I think um, that Paddy Kilty given an opportunity will prove to have been an ideal choice but, but it seems to be a fairly rough baptism of fire for him at the moment Ken Sweeney showbiz editor of the Irish Sun. Thank you very much, Ken. Um, Apologies for the wind on that line, but Ken is running between gigs this morning, as Showbiz editors tend to do on Friday. Thank you so much for taking our call. Tonight, the country music night. Um, We won't be watching tonight because uh, there's a gang of us headed off to Kilkenny for a small matter of an Imro Awards night, so hopefully we'll have... Something to talk about of our own on on Monday. I tell you something, lads, if you look around the building, there's hair being done, there's makeup being done, there's nails being done, there's frocks being measured, there's shoes being cleaned, and that's just the girl. And the, the fella's like... That's just the fellas. Some night. Nice. Join the conversation.
4: This is the opinion line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your
3: hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie.
1: Question 10. What are the colors of the Chinese flag? Red and yellow. You've been here before, Richard. Yeah. What's it like yeah. when you're on nine out of ten and you're waiting to find out about the tenth question? It's like trying to pull the phone up closer because you can hear your heart beating in the other You said red and yellow. Now, unfortunately, you won't have to ring back tomorrow because you just won to yeah. do it.
4: Cheers. <laughs> Good luck, Richard. Thanks, thanks, Richard, will well, you. Bye. The two grand minute. I'm getting money. Listen to play at 740 and 840 every day with Peaky
3: Barbers. They know the value of loyalty and a fresh fade at any age. Search Peaky Barbers
4: Court. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. Money. On Corks 96 FM.
5: So tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, our time. Ireland versus Scotland. Fourth and final pool game for Ireland in the Rugby World Cup coming two weeks on from that nerve shredder. Brilliant night against South Africa. Of course, a great night, a great result, but we won nothing. We just won a pool game. It all comes down to tomorrow night. And in Ireland's pool B, South Africa, Scotland and Ireland. Three of them and any two of the three could come out. To qualify for the next stage. Now, we're fairly sh- If we win the match tomorrow against Scotland, we're through. And that's the holy all of it. If we draw, we're through. Let's go to France, to um, Paris, to Peter O'Reilly of the Sunday Times. Peter, if we win, we're through. Absolutely sure, aren't we? Good morning. he just dropped down so yeah we'll try and get him back there guys if you can please so there are South Africa or Scotland and Ireland two places to go in the quarter finals out of those three um, and there's a big piece <laughs> on the permutations but I think as soon as we get him back on we'll get him back in Peter Peter is there I think uh Peter O'Reilly from the hi, Sunday. Hi, How, are PJ? You? Yes, How are you? Yes, there. Hi. Win and we're through. Draw and we're okay. Is that is that simply it?
10: Um, well, Ireland can you know can can try and get a losing bonus point, and they're aware of all the various different permutations, which, as you probably know, get a bit complicated. But I don't think they're thinking that way. I think they're no. they're focused purely on, on on winning the game, and that that simplifies things nicely. Um, yeah. They've beaten support. Scotland
5: They're the last eight times in in a row. I beg your pardon. They've beaten Scotland the last eight times they played them, haven't they? They have, and they have a, I think, a psychological
10: stranglehold on Scots on the Scots. Um, and they also, um, especially, I think the they'll get a lot of kind of psychological help from the last time they played Scotland in Edinburgh when they were put under all sorts of. Uh, pressure through through injuries and match situations and the fact that Ireland managed to work their way out of that, of that and come away with what was a comfortable win in the end gives them another sort of psychological edge over the Scots, so that, that's uh, something yeah. they can draw on as well. Yeah, we
5: we'll forget that. that that Six Nations match, that was the one they were under all kinds of pressure that day and they still came away with, with, with a good win so they know how to beat the Scots. Now the Scots do have this guy, is he playing tomorrow night, Van de Merve? He's the danger man. Yeah, doing a left wing for
10: Scotland. He's a he's a big lump uh, from South Africa, but qualifies for Scotland. He's got a very good try scoring record. I mean, the, he's not the only attacking weapon that that Scotland have. Um, I mean, their their fly half Finn Russell is a bit of a magician who can turn games. Uh, so they they're not wanting for. For weaponry, if you like. Mm. Um, But if you want to talk about Van der Merva, I think Ireland would also look at his defensive frailties. They would see weaknesses there that can be exploited. So I think if if you line the two teams up side by side, while Scotland have some excellent players as a unit, Ireland are, I would say, mentally... Uh, ethically
5: and technically stronger across the board. Mm. You mentioned unit. If we've one unit lining out in that green shirt at the moment it's Bundy Ackie. and he was saying during the week that pe- people people do fear that Scotland could be the banana skin but they're going in to win. Um, no question about it and he has been immense as Bundy Ackie.
10: Yeah, I mean people are talking about Bundy as a potential player of the tournament. He keeps Producing the sort of performances that he's that he's produced so far, um, normally to uh, to lose someone like of Robbie Henshaw's quality to to injury um, would be a major setback for any team. But um, <clears throat> Ireland are able to to look to, to Bunby as a as a leader now as an inspiring character, and they've also got a guy as um, accomplished as, as Stuart McCluskey on the bench to, to fill in. Um, so that, that that would be a. I'd say an area where Ireland would look to to uh, to target Scotland in midfield and an area where they they think they would have an edge over them.
5: Yeah. It's a huge night tomorrow night for our own Peter O'mani. 100 caps. He becomes a centurion. What a night to put on your or to gain your 100th cap.
10: Yeah, we were at the the Ireland press conference yesterday and it was the it was the main talking point and and peter was um he was wheeled out to face the media. He looked suitably sheepish and uncomfortable in that role of you know a starring role. It's not really his his style and that and that's that's what his teammates uh, said about him that he he won't enjoy all this attention. but do you know what? I think it's a it's a it's bad news for the Scots because. The likes of uh, Sexton, who's a you know Johnny Sexton, who's a a close friend of, uh, of Peter O'Mahony, mm. the message that he'll be drumming home um, in the team room and in the dressing room is that you know we we owe it to Peter O'Mahony as well as to ourselves not to not to um, to lose a game on on the, mm. such a such an important occasion in his career. Although he's downplaying it. I think Ireland can can use it to their advantage, and uh, yeah. that was the message that was coming out of Sexton and, and and some of the other teammates yesterday.
5: When you're watching O'Mahony in action, he looks like a fellow that eats gravel for his breakfast. He is he's a he's a beast when he's in action.
10: Yeah, well, Ian Ian Henderson was up in front of the media as well, and he he, he revealed that um, there's a new nickname for for Peter the 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 Haggard Badger, um, which <laughs> I suppose kind of. <laughs> Refers to his um, his growing uh, temples uh, as as much as anything else, but I'd, I'd be interested to know how many people actually would
5: uh, would call Peter Romani that to his face, mm. you know. Assuming it goes the right way, uh, it's almost certain to be New Zealand next Saturday, Peter. Um, uh-huh. uh, now we know at this stage how to beat them, having done it on their own soil. <laughs> we know how to beat them, but I'm still I still won't sleep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, PJ, I don't know what age you are,
10: but you know, people of my generation anyway are, are uncomfortable in the in that that uh, being in a situation where Ireland are seen as favourites going into a potential game. Oh, I would, New Zealand, like
5: I would never say that. I would never say that. i said is we know how to beat them. We
10: do, and um, and it's interesting talking to to New Zealanders. I just thought I I remember going down to New Zealand in the old days where they would be sort of almost patronizing and condescending towards you for the sort of Ireland Irish passion and, and, you know, implying that we didn't have, we had nothing more than passion to offer. Um, But now they speak so much more respectfully of Irish rugby in, in lots of respects. Um, And I know that if you see them, you know, having little pot shots in the media at Ireland, even before that game has been set in stone, uh, it's an indication that of their respect and their and their fear for Ireland. but you know the 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 one thing you can be sure of hasn't been mentioned in the Ireland camp. Um, they wouldn't want you know they wouldn't want to to give it, each other any inkling that, yeah. that they're not thinking on the, of the yeah. the job that's in hand. And like I say, I think the the centurion for Peter for Peter O'Mahony is is a very handy kind of motivator but also something mm. to concentrate
5: the mind. In the very early days of his tenure as as head coach, people said Andy Farrell knows what he's doing. He knows what's in front of him. I think he's proven that even now, Peter, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean I, I
10: would disagree just slightly in that the, the were the there was a difficult enough start to his tenure. You know, there were there were times when we wondered, uh, when people looking at that Ireland team wondered whether he he was the right man to lead them forward. Mm. He had to <clears throat> he had to. Uh, you know, the first the first couple of Six Nations campaigns didn't go that smoothly. Um, but I think what what he was doing at that time uh, was was changing the mindset and changing the culture towards a more player-led environment than we'd had when when Joe Schmidt was in charge. Yeah. Schmidt was a hugely successful Ireland coach but it was a very coach centric way of uh, preparing teams what Andy Farrell has done is he has he's made it much more player led uh, and he has made the the senior players um, if you like the the leaders in the group, and uh, there's a nice mix now between guys who are at their third and fourth World Cups, the likes of the likes of Sexton, the likes of O'Mahony, Keith Earls, um, Connor Murray, these guys, uh, and then you've got guys in their mid to late twenties or seasoned internationals like the Josh Josh van der and Caelan yeah. Doris. Yeah. These guys they're younger, but they're still very experienced internationals. So there's huge. Ah, uh, self-belief, huge experience there, and hmm. also uh, huge experience of, of of working their way out of difficult situations. So yes. uh, that would give
5: you enormous, enormous confidence. Yeah, yeah, he he lets them go out and play. You almost think at half time when they go in, whatever the situation is. Himself and Paul O'Connell have read it, and then they they tell them what they see at half time, and the lads come back out, and it's almost like it's almost like adapting whatever the situation is. They'll adapt to it, which is a great way to watch. Peter, call it for tomorrow night for me. Oh, an Ireland win. Um I I do I do think that um
10: I think that Scotland uh, they will they will play well and they will have good patches and they and, and they may well make us nervous at times because of their some of some of their um attacking threats. But ultimately Ireland just a better rugby team and
5: uh, I expect them to to win by, by five or ten points. I assume Paul O'Connell would have had a strong word with the line-out and we won't have the unnerving first 20 minutes we had against South Africa. Um, I would imagine it's fair to say that's a focal
10: point. I mean, if you look at if you look at the selection, the, the, the only two changes in the starting team are hooker and uh, number five. You know, James Ryan probably, yeah. probably isn't a hundred percent fit. That may be something to do with the fact that he's on the bench, but he's the guy who called the lineouts against the South Africans, and uh, and Roland Keller, who was the hooker. Uh, having da- having Dan Sheehan back in there is bad news again for Scotland, I would mm-hmm. say, because uh, his delivery at lineout time tends to be um, tends to be very successful. He's got a great great record and um, it will have been a focal point, and uh, yeah, you can can be sure, you can expect an improved performance there,
5: I would definitely, uh, because it made us very nervous, that made us very nervous for the first 20 minutes, Peter, thank you very much Peter O'Reilly from the Sunday Times who is in Paris, for the clash tomorrow night of Ireland against Scotland, never mind the permutations they will win, I'm saying it here and now, they will win Uh, Frank says, my predictions have been brutal, here goes, Ireland 24, Scotland 45, South Africa gone, Ireland and Scotland through. Frank, I don't even want to talk about that. I don't want to see them beaten tomorrow night. Yeah, there's a thing. I just wanted to come back to that one. I mentioned it earlier this morning. The thing in the UK, we might bring this up after the weekend if you think it would be wise. But in the UK, uh, they have done a survey of children's teeth. The things they'll do a survey of children's teeth. And they have found... That bad teeth and the consequences of bad teeth are what end up most or many children going to hospital, particularly from, you know, uh, less well-off areas. Now the Labour Party over there has said to the teachers, well, maybe you guys could, Keir Starmer, the leader of Labour, has said, maybe you guys could supervise the brushing of teeth in the classroom by the smallies. He didn't quite use smallies, that's an Irish word, but you know yourself. And Keir Starmer is the man who many think will be the next Prime Minister across the water. And after a huge win for the Labour Party in a Scottish by-election last night, you can see why people will think that. It's possibly not as much of a slam dunk as some people think. But anyway, this fella, Keir Starmer, reckons that teachers should now supervise and maybe even teach kids to brush their own teeth. Teachers' unions over there are not at all happy. They're kind of saying, "Surely teachers have enough to do already." It's one we come back. To, there's a the thing. If you have any thoughts of this, do you think that teachers have any role in teaching children to brush their teeth, their teeth, or isn't that something they should learn at home with their parents? Right. Something we've been waiting to touch on for a few days, just never got around to it. Had a very very busy week was really really good news on a story we've been following all through the year, and we were all very concerned at one point that we might just lose the marina market because it was touch and go for a few months. Owen Derham joins me from the market. Owen, planning permission granted, retention sorted, good to go, and it's part of the fabric of cork now. Good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you? Great. It has
5: grown from... Was it just an idea during lockdown?
1: Yeah, so, it's it's a funny enough story. It's uh, You know, they were kind of clearing the site because the warehouse had been kind of uh, dilapidated for a few years. So, they were clearing the site, and I, I, there was a guy who, um, Guji Coffee, he he was on site with, um, you know, one of the owners, and he just saw the footfall passing on the Centre Park Road, and he says, look, if you don't mind, I might just throw a container out here. Um, and see if I can make a few coffee sales because I have a, a spare container, and you know straight away that just started taking off, um, and it became a kind of a hotspot for for coffee and just people having walks up and down Centre Park Road in the marina. And then you know it's you know monkey see monkey do. It, it started with uh, a lot of people bringing in vans and trucks and, and and whatever, and it was all very organic. It was all very natural and. You know, when, when we, I think, you know, the original day it opened, um, you know, it wasn't the height of COVID, but we could see the, the response from the people of Cork. I think, you know, five or 10,000 people showed up on the day yeah. and it was closed down fairly soon. But, you know, straight away, we just, you just knew, like, the, you know, a light bulb moment. uh This is working and, like, people of Cork will, will show up to these things. Um So, like, it really started there. Um, And then it just grew and grew um, faster than we expected.
5: I remember wandering down there one Sunday morning, um, just as lockdown was being lifted, before they bring it down again, you know yourself, bringing the dogs with us and having a a bite of grub on a Sunday at lunchtime. And it was a beautiful day. And I thought, there's potential here.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And and you know i think it's it's such a hot spot um you know i i do think that the you know the docks area um and you know the area outside by the river is the future of cork um you know it's such a lovely area next to the marina walk and everything it's just it's a perfect place it's close to the city center um you know ample parking it just everything made sense mm-hmm. um and you know we were definitely we took a lot of, um, uh, you know, influence from Timeout Market in Lisbon and, and LX Market also in Lisbon, um, and loads of other markets around Europe and stuff. Um, and then really wanted to put our own spin in it and something that you know someone in Ireland hasn't done before to that scale. Um, and you know, we're we 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 have done a lot, but you know, with the planning now, there's 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 so much more that we can do and get, so much more we can offer.
5: I'll get know? to that. But how yeah. concerned were you that we might lose it all when the planning got a bit complicated?
1: Well, look, I mean, to be fair, like, uh, you know, what was happening, um, you know, on the surface wasn't exactly what the process we were going through. We Obviously, we were working very closely with Cork City Council um, and, and, and trying our best to, to, to navigate, you know, their needs and everything else. And they were very, very fair throughout um you know it was you know what you you know what you hear in the media what you hear on the radio it does kind of hyper uh you know hyper extend things and 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 create a bit of chaos but you know to be fair we were always working on it and it's 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 always a back and forth process you know that when we were denied planning the first time i think you know uh, someone started a um, a petition to keep the marine market open and like it had nothing to do with us and and you know we weren't sharing it or anything mm-hmm. like that but i think there was 50,000 signatures or something yes. in a week um, and it was just, it was an amazing, um, amazing for us um, in the marina market that, you know, people would do that for us. Um, I, and they really had, you know, had our backs completely and, you know, we were just so appreciative. So we just knew that we, and it wasn't just the people of court, there was councillors involved, there were city councillors involved. You know, so like everyone wanted it to stay open and, you know, I, I really do think that was a big influence um, as well and definitely helps get things over the line. Mm um you know they spoke and um you know people listened so it was it was just extremely helpful but we i you know we were always worried but we always knew that people saw the potential um mm-hmm. and you know what it's doing for the tourism of cork um you know so we we knew that we had created something great yeah. and city council's intention was never to shut us down it was more so to make sure that we're operating safely which is yeah. totally fair you know yeah
5: yeah and like you said it has developed Tourism potential, all of its own. You can see now it's a tourist stop for people. People come to Cork and they talk. Well, but what is this marine Market of which you speak? And it's it's down that way. They're so excited. So now that it is all sorted, what more can we expect, Owen?
1: Well, you know, even this year now we have an ice ring coming in for Christmas. What? Uh, wow! Yeah, yeah, we have an ice ring coming in um, with the Blue Martini Group. Uh, great guys and uh we have a santa experience coming in which is it's going to be unbelievable and we're incorporating our train so we have this big three-carriage train um and you're it's going to be used in the santa experience well
5: you run them tourist trains is it yeah yeah. oh the ting ting yeah, we, we're getting yeah. a ting ting lovely <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah um so that's gonna and it's it's a, it's a beautiful train and stuff. Um, and we're looking at the uh the, the Irish Garlic Mayo Championships are coming up um there's just so many things that we can do now um and and also you know we really want to work with the council on on events with them as well mm. you know in terms of venue space it's it's incredibly unique um in Cork and even in Ireland um and you know we are definitely a creative bunch of people and and anything that's like that, you know the more creative the better we really just want to give a platform for people to to put on uh, events at every level like obviously corporate side but you know the everyday person who you know has a vision or has an idea that's that that is the ethos of the market it's all about entrepreneurship it's all mm-hmm. about growing together um and giving people these platforms and, and letting people take risks with us um because that's that's literally how we started you know mm-hmm. so it's extremely important that we keep that that entrepreneurial spirit like pumping, and in, in terms of events, in terms of what we can do for communities, in terms of um, you know our food
5: offering, retail
1: offering, it, it, you know,
5: there's mm. it, it's endless possibilities really. There's a queue of food people trying to get in there because you could eat there for a month and never eat the same thing twice.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think people talk about the Google Stone, when you start working in the marina market, you put on about two stones uh, <laughs> straight off the bat. Um, yeah it is like it is and and there's so much um talented uh, people trying to get into the market and like look technically we just didn't have any space left mm. um but look with the planning, it does allow us to like look at new units and 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 uh you know look at new people um but like you know the vendors that we have to be fair to them they're they're excellent they've stuck with us through the whole time the ups and the downs the the price changes uh you know electricity bills the whole lot so you know, we're extremely appreciative of the guys we have. Their family to us, and they've grown with us the yeah. whole way. So, you know, um, it must you know, be. A, I seen,
5: now that you mention it, it must be a huge job to keep it powered and lit.
1: Yeah, like it, look, it, it really did come. Um, that was probably the biggest challenge I felt we faced. Um, you know, when I, I think when when things started skyrocketing, it was just you know it was scary for people when you saw those bills come in, and uh, same same on our side, but look it's it's just one of those obstacles that we navigated um there was of them throughout our our whole experience in the market um but yeah you know it's it's you know it's it that's just the nature of the economy like it really does affect us when these things change our Mm. prices change and we're we're really like uh you know even the VAT rates went up but it's you know it's still great we you know they stuck with us we haven't we haven't lost many vendors or anything like that um you know so so they've done as much work as we have, you know, to keep this place open and, 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 and to keep the lights on, you know. Yeah.
5: Lastly, and this, this is a complete surprise, I was down there one day having a bite of lunch one time, this is a few months ago now, and I needed to have a chat with Mother Nature, as it were. That's a five-star hotel standard toilet block you've got, down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it's uh <laughs> it's it's a long way away from the porta potties that we had out the back at
5: the back <laughs> exactly because so I remember that it. the first couple of Sundays. like <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. um no we have um we have a brilliant interior designer in here, and again it's it's just a creativity um and you you just don't expect it when you're walking through a warehouse and you see this this gorgeous uh bathroom and facilities and stuff so I felt after a year and a half of the porta potties that we we would throw a bit of money into the. Into the bathrooms sure they're nice
5: because people talk about us. Yeah, they're, they're, they're an attraction in themselves. Owen, I'm delighted to see that the, the planning is sorted and exciting times ahead at Cork's unique marina market. They're talking about it all over the country and indeed all over Europe, and rightly so. We've got this massive facility on our docklands, and guess what? It grew out of COVID. So if COVID brought us nothing else, it brought us the marina market, and long may it stay. As as a favourite, and the, they are still down there. I'm I'm assuming the MKT Burger Place. That's my favourite burger place in all of Ireland. I don't mind telling you. The only problem is it takes so long because everybody else queues up and it's waiting so long. Anyway, right, where are we? Oh, to Clonakilty. Um, On Post Bookshop of the Year is a very prestigious. Award and a very prestigious thing for which to be nominated long listed and short listed. The long list is out, and there are bookshops in County Down, County Wicklow, County Sligo, County Kildare, County Mayo, County Limerick, a couple in County Wicklow, and run down there in West Cork. Kerr's bookshop in Clonacilty. Trish Kerr, good morning, congratulations.
6: Thank you, PJ. Yeah, it's delightful, and we're thrilled to bits, obviously.
5: And this, it is a great honour. It is a, presti- and that's the long list. It'll be whittled down to a short list of six uh, in a correct. few in a few weeks' time. But to be on the long list, like bookshops, the traditional bookshop, yes. they're still out there, loads it, of them.
6: Yes, very much so in Ireland. It's uh, definitely a, a, a bookshop um, country, and uh, people, the Irish, always love their books. So, um, yes, we're thriving. And Toniculti in particular, it's a great place to be. And the bookshop's 30 years old. So we're absolutely thriving. But the, to be on the long list is particularly nice for us. Um, it, it's the one where you're voted on by your customers and those who support you. So that's a real honour. That's the, yes. that's the pinnacle, really, isn't it?
5: So, as voted by your own readers, your own customers, to be one of the best 12 in the country, that in itself is is a huge... A huge honour. Tell us about yourself. You're a long time there.
6: Yes, yeah, we're 30 years here. Um, we lived abroad for 16 years and uh, moved back to Clonakilty. My husband's from Clonakilty and uh, moved back in 1992. So the bookshop's 30 years old this year. And um, I started that up when we moved back and uh, we live over it. It's, right. um, but Clonakilty is just
5: thriving anyway. It's Lovely not great. to make. You, were you always a bookshop person or was it just, okay, let's try a bookshop?
6: No, I've always liked reading and I've always liked books. And I I like business. So, um, no, I have no background in um, bookshops. But my father owned, you know, a, a grocery store and hardware store way back when. So, so retail has always probably been in my blood.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just opened it and said, "Right, if you if you build it, they will come." And they came.
6: <laughs> well, that's true, but it was just probably the you know a very scary thing to do. We bought this uh, um, old uh, premises right in the centre of Clonacilty. and um, it had been a drapery store closed for a couple of years. And um, we did decide there was already um, a, um, an educational bookshop in the town, and it still runs and is very popular. And we work very closely together. Um, Hawkins Bookshop mm-hmm. and um, so we decided it was time to put in a, um, a, a good general bookshop mm-hmm. and it's grown with us you know, with me, me, me and, and the girls all helped out here so yes, it's um, sort of happened over the years over 30 years to be sure
5: And you know, despite the growth of mm-hmm. electronic reading, e-reading and Kindles and all these kind of things bookshops yes. still thrive Why do you think that is?
6: Um, you're right. They certainly thrive and despite e-reading and um, online sales and everything, people really like to come into a bookshop. It's a safe place to be. Yeah. It's um, a happy place to be in it generally. Um, it's a com- sort of a community gathering spot as well. which yes. just happened by itself and um, there's a feeling in a bookshop um, that may not be in other retail outlets. Um we, we find that uh, that's what ha- has happened here. We started with um, a, probably our main customer were families to begin with. And we still have families. And um, we now have the children of children who originally came into the bookshop 30 oh. years ago. It, it's exciting.
5: So you've, 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 you've children coming in for the kiddies' books and you have dad or mom coming in for the latest thriller or whatever they are. Exactly right. Yeah, that's yes. Great. Seven. Mm-hmm. Well, and best just
6: browsing too just come, to come into a bookshop you don't have to always purchase in a bookshop it's, it's just the whole ambience of a bookshop yeah. and being surrounded by books is, is a really
5: nice feeling well now the, the readers of Ireland consider you one of the top 12 in the country already and the next is a cut down to six on the 19th of October Trish we wish you well with that and congratulations on getting so far
6: PJ, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, we're thrilled to bits, and, and thank you to all the support we've got. And, Cheers. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Bye-bye. You
5: too, you too. I'm a, I'm a regular enough visitor to Tlalic Guilty. My, my dentist is down there, and the next time I'm popping down, I think I might take a wander into cares myself. My favourite bookshop I ever found, actually, was in Palma in Mallorca. Um, down a side street. That's the beautiful thing about bookshops. Down a side street. This tiny bookshop. Buckety tumble down little door with bookshop over it. And I went in, and there's this cranky, narrowed old fella, about 80, inside the counter. He goes, Hello. He was English. And I said, um, Do you have any crime fiction? He said, Seventh floor. And I said, What? He said, Seventh floor. And up I went. The whole floor was crime fiction. I spent four hours in the bookshop. I was nearly divorced that afternoon. So I love bookshops. Best luck to Trish and everyone at Kerr's Bookshop Clonacilty in the Unpost Bookshop of the Year Award.
4: Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line.
3: With Hidden Hearing. focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie Fox 96 S-